2: Market moving insight and analysis. Join Jim Kramer, David Faber, and me, Carl Quintanilla, on the opening bell hour of CNBC Squawk on the Street. Good Friday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla outside SoFi Stadium. In Inglewood, California, ahead of Super Bowl 56 this weekend, Morgan Brennan, Mike Santoli on the East Coast, Jim Cramer, David Faber have the morning off. Pre-market trying to go green here as markets reel not just from CPI, uh, but that increasing volatility and in Fed speak as Goldman now sees seven hikes for the year. Our roadmap begins with the Fed poised to act as inflation continues to spike, why investors are already pricing in a half-point March rate hike. Plus watching
1: some tech movers, Zillow and Expedia rallying sharply ahead of the open while shares of Affirm tumble following the earnings release snafu.
3: And watching space, Elon Musk says the first orbital Starship flight could be as early as March while Astrospace's first NASA mission failed to reach orbit yesterday. Carl.
2: Guys, we're going to start with the markets this morning. Talk about inflation, obviously, after yesterday's sell-off and Mike, what appeared to be an extension of that sell-off earlier this morning. Although markets trying to rally around some better news, um, really, it's about the asymmetric uh, Fed speak. Whether it's, it's Bullard or Barkin or Daly, as the markets already pricing in 11 basis points before the next meeting.
1: Yeah, market has moved so fast in, uh, in repricing for what the Fed is going to do. I mean, the, the, the movement in the two-year Treasury note yield yesterday, up something like, you know, a quarter of a percent, uh, just a historic level of radical rethinking on the fly of how much the Fed might have to do. Now, that being said, uh, I don't think... Uh, I certainly actually based on most other indications that Bullard is speaking somehow in an an authoritative way for the committee or for what's likely to happen. There's another uh, inflation report, another jobs report before there's even a March meeting. So at some point along the way, there's probably going to be a little more kind of steering of the market expectations uh, in a different direction. And I think it's also important to remember that, uh, you know, it does fully depend on the trajectory of inflation. It's not as if you know, there's a plan in the drawer, they're going to open the drawer, and that's what it's going to be. Uh, it's all pretty dynamic, and I think that's why the market's a little bit unsettled. What's interesting is about stocks is essentially we just lost the prior couple of days rally, uh, closed just below Friday's uh, closing level. It wasn't a complete washout, but it's absolutely unsettled. One of the issues, Morgan, is... If you're an investor that's that's diversified or even not just in aggregate, the world is diversified between stocks and bonds. The value of those bonds getting hit pretty hard on one end, it leaves you a little bit less able or willing to take on more equity risk or keep the the level that you have. And I think that's just one of those portfolio uh, things introduces that much more kind of unsettled action into uh, into the markets.
3: Uh, It's such a good point, Mike. And I mean, it it sort of speaks to what those Bullard comments really did in the market yesterday, which was throw some cold water, perhaps, on some of the buy the dip action that we have been seeing as of late. I mean, that being said, we know we're entering this tightening cycle, even as the Fed does continue to buy uh, bonds right now as it's easing down on that program uh, ahead, of, ahead of March and when, when that first liftoff is expected to happen in terms of rate increases. Um, but a lot of back and forth, Fed and Steve Leisman so connected to all things Fed, um, continuing to stress that, to your point, Bullard is not necessarily the majority when it comes to the thought process about how this tightening cycle is actually going to manifest and sort of come out of the gate. But it does remind investors that there are a multitude of ways this could play out based on that inflation data, Carl.
2: Uh, It's true. And, um, you know, we've paid so much attention to CPI this week, but it's been pointed out again this morning, Mike, that the Fed actually prefers a different metric in PCE. Mm -hmm. uh, We are going to get another CPI number before the next meeting. But there's also, you, you know, you talk about the dynamic nature of all this. Bullard yesterday, his comment about, I'd like to see 100 basis points in the bag by July, it was 11 days prior that he said, I don't see how 50 helps us. So it's, yeah. that, it's that change within a matter of days from, uh, from a voting member, um, and uh, at least in 22, that has, I think, the market caught a bit off guard. Without a doubt. And, you know, I mean, just think about all the moving
1: parts. One member of a committee that's going to be making a decision based on data we don't yet have Um, you know, relative to how the markets might behave until that point is trying to say how many rate hikes by, you know, the 1st of July. Uh, What's also fascinating to me is how much the markets seem to make of those comments, at least as as an element of kind of just wild card, you know, a force to keep things off balance because one percentage point by July 1st means 50 in March and then two more uh, 25 uh, basis point hikes uh, by July 1st. There's a meeting at the end of July. You could go one uh, one percentage point by the end of July and have no 50. I mean, this is kind of absurd when we're getting down to it. it. Is is it a matter of four weeks? And that's going to define whether, you know, how much inflation is restrained or how the markets take it or what the cost of money is going to be. So I, I do think that we can get a little bit too caught up in it. But it does show the fact that the markets you know, are going to remain a little bit Uh, uh, unsettled, on their heels, until there's a little clarity uh, behind that, Morgan.
3: Yeah, that's right. Um, And it is worth noting that that CPI number yesterday did show that broadening of price increases, higher food, utility, and electric prices as well. Housing is starting to make itself known in a more meaningful way. So perhaps that speaks to some of those uh, about-face comments by Bullard yesterday. Meantime, earnings in focus. Again, it's been a mixed bag on the earnings front. Affirm Holdings taking a hit in pre-market in reaction to a wider-than-expected loss and guidance, the fintech buy-now-pay-later company accidentally tweeted parts of its quarterly results uh, and then took those down. On the flip side, Zillow was up on better-than-expected quarterly results, despite an $881 million loss on its now shuttered or shuttering home-flipping business. The CEOs of Affirm and Zillow will both be on tech check at 11 a.m. Eastern. And as you can see, a firm is down about 9% right now. Zillow's up meaningfully. Shares of Expedia also jumping though after earnings beat forecasts despite Omicron's impact on bookings. And we've got that interview coming up in the next hour as well with Expedia CEO Peter Kern. Uh, Do not wanna miss that either. And of course, Carl, it does speak to, in the case of Expedia, something we've been talking about really all week as we have seen some of those travel and airline and cruise Uh, stocks rebound very meaningfully and really sort of lead the charge this week. The fact that, yes, Omicron had an impact, but in the case of Expedia, for example, the impact was shorter, shallower, the recovery is faster than some of the variant impacts we've seen prior. And it does kind of speak to the fact that more and more people are looking to go out and travel, go out and book and bounce back from uh, these waves of coronavirus as we're now entering, what, the third year? (laughs) <laughs> something like that.
2: Yes, um, you're right. The surprise profit out of Expedia. Mike, we mentioned earlier in the week that uh, leisure and entertainment stocks are pretty much near a three-month high uh, on all the dynamics that Morgan mentioned. I can tell you getting out to L.A. last night, um, TSA numbers have been suppressed somewhat over the last mm. couple of months, uh, but it's it's starting to get to be a challenge um, to get around major cities, ridership in New York City subways, uh, best numbers now that we've seen since Omicron. I think it was the JPM desk this morning that said, look, there's going to be a lot of volatility around the Fed. Uh, stay with the reopening names until you get either clarity on the Fed or, as they always say, you get the VIX below 20.
1: Right. And, you know, the Fed also, whatever it does, it's going to be acting into a reopening dynamic or at least into a little bit more of an energized you know consumer economy most likely in the next few months so i think that's a that's a buffer it is a bit of an offset travel related you know i I think it it makes sense to say that you know those should be uh, an emphasis in terms of investing, it's not clear to me that they really, uh, you know, got down to deep discounts again this time. Some of the airlines definitely had uh, a rough run, uh, you know, during the winter. So maybe that's where there's a little more of a, of a gap in terms of, you know, perceived reality versus where the valuations are. But it is amazing because Expedia has been a great stock. It's kind of at new highs, uh, you know, booking as well. So it's, it's not as if the market's forgotten about this area, but it is nice to see that it is going to be perhaps uh, taking up some of the slack. I was just going to mention with you know zillow and affirm are fascinating because both down 65 70% from their highs mm. and it still does matter you know, if, if, if it's if there's relief in those numbers, as it was with Zillow, where it seems like they're getting out of the tougher I buying business and and other media trends in their in their, uh, mm-hmm. you know, in their network seem OK. Whereas a firm, you had a downgrade from Jeffries this morning, not clear that the model is really shining through lower uh, kind of fees earned on all the the uh, merchandise volumes that they're doing uh, and maybe a, a more crowded space right there. So, uh, you know, even in stocks down a ton, uh, they can go either way. Uh, Based on the next move, Uh, next bit of information. And and to
3: your point, Mike, I mean, Affirm is it's almost uh, like it's 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 a double edged sword, if you will. I remember how much it rallied. It rallied or moved double digit percentages when it announced that deal with Amazon. And now Amazon, which was a key part of the conference call yesterday, is very much in focus because to your point, they did see uh, those higher volumes, but uh, less actual revenue coming off of those volumes and it, and it speaks to something we've seen play out with amazon which is just the behemoth in every industry it goes into um, with other companies as well the fact that that's not always a very profitable business for the companies that team up carl with amazon also the fact that peloton you're not seeing and we've seen all the issues with peloton but that's playing out for a firm too which has had a longstanding uh, pay, buy now pay later agreement with that company as well
2: yeah, we're definitely paying attention to the mix, whether it's a revenue timing issue or a revenue sharing issue with the firm. That was what was interesting yesterday. Guys, uh, we're excited to be here in Inglewood, California at SoFi Stadium. A beautiful shot behind us as we await the sunrise uh, here in Los Angeles uh, Super Bowl 56. The Bengals taking on the Rams. Guys, it's obviously it's a it's a event. For all of media but this year the, the conversation is really going to be around betting this is set to be the super bowl on sunday the biggest legal gambling event uh, in football history 31.4 uh, million americans are set to bet on sunday's game that's up 34 percent from last year's game hmm. seven billion dollars wagered that's a 78 78- percent increase, 33 states in this country, plus the District of Columbia now have some form of legalized gambling. And it's not just feeding viewership, it's not just feeding the value of sports franchises, it's a huge flywheel effect for media companies, it's feeding uh, gambling companies, and a series of executives have talked about that dynamic in the last couple of months.
4: You know, you've got the sports betting option, which really adds something material, we believe, to that proposition uh, as the new younger audience wants to be a little bit more engaged in the outcome of the game. Sports wagering revenue uh, is um, uh, our our leading uh, category of of, of growth. We have already written over 50 percent more local sports betting revenue at this point of the fiscal year than we did across all a fiscal 21 we're not creating
1: the market the markets existed for a long long time it's just been pushed into the illegal market and so there's a lot of people who are hungry to bet and are ready to do it in a safe and regulated space
2: It really is amazing, Morgan, when you think about sort of the generational change. We're not just talking about going to a sports book in Vegas or betting on the horses. It's a new generation of sports fans who are looking to draw more out of the sports experience through gambling. And that's going to have an effect on, for example, just the ratings alone, the game that maybe you don't care about the outcome, but there may be metrics within the game that you do care about because you got money on the line.
3: Oh, it's so true. Although playing the ponies will always have a special place in my heart, I have to say. And perhaps it speaks <laughs> to the fact that Penn, Wynn, and Caesars are all tracking for their best week, those stocks, since August, uh, ahead of the Super Bowl Sunday. But it's going to be fascinating to see how all that plays out. And of course, Carl, to your point, it does speak to this no significant rebound we've seen in terms of engagement and viewership uh, for these types of games. games. And the fact that this media flywheel extends out. I mean, this came up on the Disney call around ESPN and all the opportunities there, too.
2: Yeah, and Mike, we're going to talk to FanDuel later in the morning, but one element of the conversation is going to be okay, you got a growth market, but what are the marketing costs? What are the customer acquisition costs? And how much of that is going to be uh, painful to the extent that you need to take share in this growing market? Mm.
1: Right, they're worrying about the uh, the profitability piece later. Um, it's it's very difficult. I mean, that seven point six billion dollar number is huge, but that's obviously a gross number. I mean, a lot of people win; they don't. <laughs> not everybody loses, right? So there's just a skim on top of that that everybody is is fighting for. That the FanDuel's and the DraftKings are fighting for. Big question as to whether uh, you can kind of wean players off of the big incentives and the promotions and new entrants in there uh, just willing to try to you know t- to and is there loyalty really in any of the specific apps and in, does anything distinguish uh, one from the other all those things uh, obviously very uh, very crucial but right now and you know look those those stocks had good weeks but DraftKings and Penn are down huge off their highs because we I guess had some kind of re- realization of that
3: it's a good point. All right, well, coming up, Cruise Line shares are up double digits this week amid the scaling back of some pandemic-related restrictions. But despite the rally, one analyst says has a sell rating on a particular name, and he's going to tell us all about that. And, of course, Carl with more on the countdown to Super Bowl 56. All of that is coming up when Squawk on the Street returns.
5: Every day.
1: Cruise lines may be poised for a big comeback. Stocks had a strong week as COVID cases continue to decline, with Norwegian announcing guests won't have to wear masks indoors starting on March 1st. Joining us now is Truist Securities Lodging and Leisure Equity Research Managing Director Patrick Scholes. Uh, Patrick, good morning. Good to, uh, good to speak good with you here this week, as everyone is, you know, really focused in on the travel sector. Uh, you're not necessarily, though, thinking that uh, it's great times ahead for the cruise lines specifically relative to where the stocks are. Is that right?
6: Yeah, that's right. You know, we've certainly seen the the reopening trade kind of bounce back here, but I continue to see some structural issues remaining, especially for a company like Carnival.
1: And what is and what are those particular issues yeah. that you're uh, that you're seeing develop in terms of bookings and things like that?
6: Well, I, I would say there's two things. Um, no, number one, um, I heard a couple minutes ago Morgan talk about. Um, omicron not being as bad as delta well it's actually been the opposite for the cruise lines where omicron is as far as its impact on bookings has actually been far worse hmm. um so that's uh you know really has uh dampened the booking pace of late and then number two a, a real challenge especially for a very mass market cruise line like carnival is the double vaccination requirement Where, what is it, 60% of the population isn't fully vaccinated? Well, that's going to uh, negate a lot of uh, family cruising, especially on a mass market ship like uh, Carnival's brands.
3: So, Patrick. I mean, when I when I said that, I was referencing Expedia specifically. So it's oh, good good sure. for you to put that context um, there, where the cruising is concerned specifically. But um, the fact that you have a sell rating on Carnival, you have hold ratings uh, on some of the other names as well. What is it going to take for you to get bullish again on this industry?
6: Well, right now, uh, Morgan. You know, I, after we've sort of seen this reopening bounce. Uh, there's two bull cases right now for the cruise lines. One, um, that the back half of the year will be back to normal. I definitely have my, looking on my proprietary research, I definitely have my doubts that uh, third quarter uh, will be back to normal. It's possible, but I would say it's not looking very favorable. Um, and then also, there was some very positive commentary uh, over the past week from a number of uh, the cruise lines reporting earnings talking about very strong uh, bookings for next year. That also helped lift the stocks. Well, that is absolutely true. um, I don't think it's really a fair apples-to-apples comparison uh, when we talk about next year. Because next year, if you're booking at this point, it's really the high-end and exotic cruises, which which are, in fact, doing very well. But that's only a small portion of the business. Um, What we're still seeing struggling is the Caribbean, um, so, you know, I worry that the pricing cuts this year for the Caribbean will bleed over into next year and, and um, continue to make it difficult for pricing power. I mean, time will tell, but uh, I definitely don't think it's a, a, a clear sailing here. Uh, sorry about that Pardon there.
1: Yeah. Um, all right. Well, we'll see how the uh, how the summer plays through. Uh, Patrick, thanks very much for the time this morning. Thank you, everyone. All right.
3: All right. Well, we're going to head to break right now and just getting a check on the futures. Hovering near the flat line uh, ahead of the open, which is in about nine minutes uh, in what has been another turbulent week, but a week in which the major averages, at least right now, are poised to still end higher. Stay with us.
6: Canva presents Unexplained Appearances.
2: take a look at S&P gainers uh, so far this morning Expedia is on the list as they do swing to that surprise profit uh, S&P trying to hold gains for the week we closed last Friday right around 4500 not far from current levels in the opening bell just a few moments away
4: People are getting back to work and they're getting out there and our driver supply and our earner supply courier supply uh, is absolutely moving in the right direction, which is why surge has come down. Uh, now, I think that as the world opens up, there's going to be another kind of demand shock, so to speak. So we're going to have to work really, really hard to keep supply there. But I think surge levels over a long term are going to net out to a 10 to 20 percent range, which is a healthy range for the marketplace.
2: At Uber's Dara Khosrowshahi talking about driver supply yesterday. Pretty interesting week for the stock, Mike, obviously, after that investor day. Uh, Needham does reiterate a buy at 75, top pick for the year. They actually cut their estimates on mobility, but they like that they're taking share in delivery, which, in their view, then feeds the opportunities for advertising. Yes, and advertising is definitely
1: an emerging, uh, fairly important piece of this story. Kind of smallish at this point, but obviously uh, that's where you can get out of this. A little bit of a margin trap uh, when it comes to trying to balance you know, pricing to customers and then payouts uh, to drivers. The stock actually reacted pretty well to the actual numbers uh, that they reported. And then during the, uh, the guidance from the investor day, uh, the stock backed off along with a, a weak market. People just thinking that the cash flow guidance in the out years, you know, going out a couple of years, is not as aggressive. As they wanted to see, suggesting again continued kind of margin pressure, and they've been in this trap for a while. $75 a share—that's uh, an aggressive call here. This has been a stock that's that's been spent most of its history, I think, in the you know, or recently anyway, in the 40s or, or thereabouts. Morgan.
3: Yeah, I, I mean, the labor piece of the puzzle to me is really fascinating because we saw that pop in the labor force participation rate in the January jobs report, and then you hear comments like this from the CEO of Uber, where we know driver supply has been kind of tight. And it gives you some hope, I suppose, that more people are coming off the sidelines and that maybe the the labor market tightness that we've seen potentially could start to ease this year. Um, I also just think it's very noteworthy, Carl, the fact that Uber and Lyft consistently get compared to each other because of the ride sharing. But in many ways, they're very different companies because Uber is uh, multinational in terms of its Footprint and then it does have that delivery business. We are talking about things like advertising. Lyft is much more pure play ride share in North America.
1: Yeah, we have we do have the opening bells uh, right here. We have um, uh, real time CMC Real Time Exchange here at the big board, it's Evans Bank Bank Corp doing the honors, and up at the Nasdaq, Rain Therapeutics, a company focused on ontology. Therapeutics, And we are going to, uh, looks like, put a little bit higher at the open right here. The big story, of course, yesterday was mostly uh, in the bond market when yields really just took flight. And that has uh, calmed down just a bit today. Not major moves, but you do have uh, the two, the 10-year hovering right around that 2% mark. It did exceed it for a while yesterday. And then that 2-year note I mentioned yesterday, uh, getting, getting up uh, toward 1.6, it has backed off just slightly here guys uh, and Morgan obviously you know, we're not talking about the absolute levels that necessarily are that challenging over a long-term basis but uh, they move pretty fast in that direction uh, has people a bit on edge
3: yeah that, that's right and it's, it's been the swiftness to your point it's been kind of the swiftness of, uh, of the move I would know gold as well is on pace for its best week since last November so we have been seeing all of this uh, gyration playing out amid these, these, these rate shifts this week. Just in terms of the major averages right now, we are starting in the green this morning with the S&P up fractionally, 45.11 is a level there. The Dow is up 25 points, so basically flat right now. And the Nasdaq is up about uh, one quarter of one percent with most of the sectors in the S&P, Carl, uh, in the green this morning, led higher by, again, energy.
2: Yeah, energy is going to be your top leading uh, sector at the open, as Morgan points out. Uh, Interesting week for energy. There have been a couple more estimates on how much supply might come back online if we get an Iran deal. I think it was the JPM desk this morning said, you know, a lot's been written about oil or at least uh, gasoline going back to 2014 highs. But in that time, median income is up 25%. God, kind of points to our conversation earlier in the week about yeah. the economy's waning, very slow, but waning a dependence on, uh, on low energy costs.
1: Absolutely. I mean... You know, we spent most of 2011 through 2014 right around that $100 uh, a barrel uh, mark for oil. So yeah, the economy much bigger uh, intensity, energy intensity of the economy is much lower. So uh, you know, those are offsets, and probably one reason why I don't think it's been kind of this zero-sum game where oil rallies uh, and therefore the rest of the market uh, can't do that. That hasn't really been the case. But energy's just been able to outperform, very comfortable in these uh, these price levels right here. There has been a line of th- Thought though that if yields are surging as energy is going up, and it just seems like that those two pressure points are on equities, that becomes a little bit uh, a little bit tougher, uh, obviously, to make your way through Nasdaq 100. I was going to point out a lot of folks talking about being, you know, at a little bit of a of a crucial point. Uh, right here, you know, the, all the indexes have, you know, did a pretty good gain off those uh, January 24th lows. They've now descended back in that direction, and we're, we're sort of back at these levels where, you know, you, you, if, if you go much further, then it starts to bring up the whole retest idea, if nothing else. And the Nasdaq 100 is kind of worse position than the rest of the market, just in terms of, you know, how much damage has been done under the surface. The leadership has been uh, kind of thinned out there a little bit. So you see today a little bit of a rescue effort uh, as uh, as it goes up about one-third of one percent, Morgan.
3: Mm. And if we just start to dive under or dig under the hood, I guess, uh, within the S&P, it looks like uh, the worst performer right now is Under Armour, as we do continue to see uh, earnings-fueled moves uh, for stocks this week. And Under Armour, of course, reporting earnings this morning, quarterly profit of 14 cents per share, which was double consensus estimates. You also saw better-than-expected revenue. but. Um, the company did say that gross margins would fall by 200 basis points for the current quarter because of supply chain challenges. And again, when it comes to apparel and retail, Carl, um, those margins continue to be in focus. Uh, no argument that so many companies across so many industries are dealing with these higher costs and inflationary pressures, but it's how they're executing on them. And that is really where investors are homing in.
2: Yeah. I'll tell you guys, I've lost track this week of the number of companies, Mike, that have guided higher on revenue, like Under Armour, uh, looking for five instead of three, but guiding lower on EPS uh, for the March quarter, two to Mm. three cents, streets at 14. Um, There's that wrinkle, and then Mike, you know, Um, North America up uh, 15, international up only three. Something's going on around the world. We talked about this with Canada Goose earlier in the week, where either it's Asia-Pac or Europe just not keeping up with what appears to be a torrid uh, American consumer.
1: Yes, without a doubt, I mean, Omicron seems to have dampened things overseas uh, a little more than it did right here consumer-wise. Of course, you know, there was still the the tailwind from, uh, from some of the fiscal uh, help that uh, U.S. consumers got. So it, it has been a theme. And in terms of downward guides on earnings, I do think that the ratio of uh, earnings warnings versus uh, raised guidance for, during this earnings season, it's a bit, it's running a bit above normal. In other words, it's a little more negative than normal. Not profoundly so. I think overall estimates are kind of holding up uh, decently well. But uh, there's been a lot of play in the stocks in reaction to it's been like a 4 percentage point average decline in the stocks when a company misses and only a very modest gain when companies have beat on average so far this uh, this earning season to that point a couple of uh, of reporters here Cleveland Cliffs obviously iron ore steel producer mm. uh, down about 4% It's about 24% off its. size. Actually, steel prices were one of the areas uh, in the commodity industrial complex that did not actually have a good fourth quarter. So that's been a little bit of a hiccup right there. So that stock, uh, you know, as you can see, sort of struggling just a little bit at the outset, Morgan.
3: Well, so many of these industrial commodities hinge on China, too. And we know the situation in China, kind of going back to the point that Carl just made, has been very different than the U.S. And even while we see... Fed officials uh, and monetary policy tightening or poised to tighten here in the U.S. It's actually a very different scenario in China. And, of course, the housing issues, which tie back into infrastructure, which tie back into commodities like steel. Nonetheless, you have seen aluminum at multi-year highs. You're seeing copper get a bounce this week uh, as well. Another name I'm watching, just to go back to earnings, is Newell Brands. That's one of the best performers in the S&P this morning as well. That two topped estimates. You did have inflation pressuring gross margins, um, but they were able to offset those costs, which helped operating margins come in ahead of street expectations. It wasn't the strongest report, just in terms of, again, some of these inflationary pressures, but that stock, Mike, is popping about 7% right now.
1: Yeah. And, you know, so many of these stocks are, you know, getting the benefit of the doubt at times when it sort of seems like they have a little bit of the margin uh, story under control and the stocks have been, you know, hit pretty hard. So again, Newell's a stock that had been, uh, you know, trading at about about 20 something percent discount uh, to its uh, to its all time high. You have a tremendous number of names in the market that are like that. Uh, A firm we did talk about earlier. It did open up down about 11 percent. Uh, so there's going to be a lot of questions that no, we're talking to CEO, uh, CEO later this morning, uh, but a lot of questions there just about what the, you know, what the, the, the longer term opportunity is, frankly, as the uh, as the buy now uh, pay later market gets a little more crowded and they have to uh, struggle yeah. with how much they're earning off each. Also, I think, you know, one thing that's happened in this whole kind of reckoning for high growth Stocks is is fintech. There's this realization that just it's not clear how much room there is with all the capital having been invested in there, and even the upside scenario for what these companies become, it's kind of like a thin layer uh, of a toll keeper in you know in the mix. Uh, and I do know there was an upgrade of Square today that uh, people were saying you know that's been punished just a little bit too much on this idea that Apple might come in and uh, you know and take some of that small business transaction-based activity away, saying that's been overdone. Some of the parts uh, are argument for Square, it is up 5% this morning uh, to about 114, still uh, 60% off its highs, uh, Carl.
2: It's interesting, uh, you know, on, on both of those names, uh, it's really been a story of you know GMV guidance, which we expected to be good that's one reason a firm has had a couple of su- supportive notes in the last couple of weeks. but credit delinquencies are the credit metrics going to worsen over time as we move into a more challenging environment for the household Mike I do want to get you quickly on financials uh, because they're lagging today, and I wonder if that's a function of I don't know, the 2.10 spread down to 39 basis points, you got to go back to August of 2020 to see it that thin.
1: Yeah, uh, that's absolutely pressure. I mean, the, yield, the absolute yield level as well has, um, you know, it has an effect there, and that's getting a little bit dampened. Financials were an outperformer yesterday, uh, so it's not as if they, they really got uh, taken down quite as much as the rest of the market uh, yesterday. But, yeah, it's, it's, uh, that spread getting... Uh, almost alarmingly low I think at this point maybe arguably it's an overshoot as well because uh, the short rates are really building in an aggressive Fed scenario that the majority of of Fed officials have not yet endorsed and probably are not yet on board with Uh, but we have to see how that discourse goes by the way just did want to mention Morgan that that upgrade of Square was from Bank of America this morning.
3: Uh, Well, I want to shift attention to a name that is not publicly traded, however, uh, gets watched very closely because it is one of the most valuable companies within the private market, and that is Elon Musk's other company, SpaceX. Elon Musk from Boca Chica, Texas, in an event last night, giving his first update on SpaceX's multi-billion dollar mega rocket system, Starship. This is how Musk plans to colonize Mars. Uh, and it is a very ambitious system for which he laid out the economic argument uh, around how he's actually going to be able to colonize Mars.
5: How do we do this? How do we uh, make life multiplanetary? How do? We, what, what's the first step? And um, the essential technology, the the holy grail breakthrough that's needed, is a, a rapid and completely reusable rocket system. So this has never been accomplished before, Um, and a lot of people for the longest time thought this was not possible. Now with Falcon 9, uh, we've been able to show that uh, you um, you can have reuse of a boost stage and reuse of the ferry.
3: So this system is under development in Texas, South Texas, as I mentioned. Musk gave this presentation standing in front of one of these fully stacked Starship rocket systems, which are just enormous. They stand almost 40 stories tall, Uh, very ambitious Production cadence expected for this rocket and a very ambitious, which it's going to take some time and some tests, a uh, very ambitious plan to be able to reuse um, these rocket systems, too. I mean, he wants to see us get to the point where a Starship can be relaunched three times a day and that these boosters that come back and reland at the Starbase base uh, can basically fly once every hour, if necessary, says that if we can get to that type of cadence in the next two to three years, he's targeting as little as $10 million per launch for Starship. And Carl, just to put that in perspective, the Falcon 9 workhorse, which is not (laughs) nearly as powerful as this, currently launches for about $30 million or upwards from there. So this is a very major shift if he can pull it off in terms of space flight.
2: Uh, Incredible. I mean, the economics, change completely if you don't throw away tens of millions of dollars every time. That's that's amazing. Guys, uh, relatively muted open. S&P's up a point. Let's get to our Bob Bassani. Hey, Bob.
4: Good morning, Carl. Uh, great seeing you out there. Uh, two to one, advancing to declining stocks, but all seems rather tentative. Of course, the inflation outlook still a real problem. Take a look at the sectors. Uh, tech is... Uh, flattish right now. Energy is the market leader, but has been for a while. Uh, Industrial is a little bit on the flattish side. Banks are down. That's two days in a row the banks are down, but th- it's following a, a three-week uh, uptrend. So there's nothing really that's getting broken uh, right now at this point. I think the key question is, where are we on the inflation story? Remember, we got inflation at 7%. The Fed funds rate is zero to a quarter percent. So there's a lot of crazy scenarios that float around out there. What the bulls want is some indication that inflation is peaking in the first half of the year. They're not getting a lawful lot of help from corporate America because they don't know yet. So you heard Morgan talking about Under Armour there. They had revenues raised, but the margins for the current quarter are going to be lower because of higher shipping costs. They didn't give any clear indication when they thought it was going to go away. Goodyear Tire was similar. Uh, they talked about uh, inflationary pr- uh, pressures persisting over the next several quarters. They kind of left it there. So again, you see, the Bulls want to believe first half is the peak. But we don't have any hard evidence of that. We're just data dependent, which is very frustrating and why you get a lot of this volatility in the market. We just don't have enough data to make a clear determination. Meantime, what we do know about corporate America, they've got cash, more cash than they've ever seen before. Last week, I told you that dividends were at a record. Now buybacks are at a new record overall. So um, corporate America is flush with cash. Here's the problem with buybacks. Uh, Oftentimes these buybacks don't reduce share count which is what you care about they don't reduce it because they give new options on the front end. So it's a giant hamster wheel. Often the buying isn't different to the prices. They don't care. Warren Buffett's been mad about this for years. Corporations don't buy opportunistically. They just keep mechanically buying, obviously. And there's often a lot of ways, better ways to spend that cash. If you look at what's happening, most of the corporate America's cash is going to buybacks these days. About 40% of the cash flow goes to buybacks. About 30% goes to capital expenditures. That's investing in the company. And about 22% goes to dividends. So you can see a wide range here, but a lot of people are debating whether buybacks are really worth it. Look what happened to Meta, Facebook. They bought back $20 billion in stock in the fourth quarter. Most of it was in December. That was when the price was $306 to $346. And look, of course, it's around $228 today. Billions of dollars got eviscerated that they bought back in December over one night in January after their earnings. A lot of people said maybe they should have been more opportunistic. Carl, if you look at some of the big companies out there, there are some that actually are reducing their their shares outstanding. Buyback monsters, I call them, like Oracle, Seagate and Qualcomm. But think about it, Carl. Oracle has reduced their share count 35 percent in the last five years. That means that all other things going there have made their earnings look better. Thirty five percent without doing much of anything. Some people call it financial engineering. Carl, back to you.
2: All right, Bob. Thanks so much, Bob Pisani. When we come back, of course, it is Super Bowl weekend. You're going to hear what some of the sports names you know are saying about crypto. Don't go anywhere. Celebrities, athletes, actors have all jumped into crypto, both in terms of sponsorships, deals, and even taking salary in Bitcoin. Aaron Rodgers, Odell Beckham among the players to take a paycheck in crypto. But our recent moves in the space leaving some second-guessing. Our Jane Wells caught up with some NFL players here at Super Bowl 56.
5: So I'm paid in Salona. So I think Salona is going to be huge in the years to come. I've been looking into the NFT space, uh, thinking about doing some stuff with Dez Bryant. We're getting more and more into the crypto. I have probably over like 32, 33 different. Cryptos. I like to think I'm, I'm doing it the right way.
6: <laughs> Odell Beckham, you know, has taken his salary in crypto. He was really our first to go through and be part of that. But what did you pay him in Bitcoin or what did you pay? Him? I think it was in Bitcoin.
5: The richest people in the world, they are talking about it and they are talking about having a certain portion of their portfolio um, to reflect that. Are you? Yes.
3: Can I ask which currency?
5: No.
2: <laughs> uh, pretty remarkable uh, Morgan. Whether it's athletes, mayors of major American cities, actors, and celebrities, uh, that uh, that compensation structure is changing across the board.
3: Oh, it's just fascinating. It kind of reminds me of what's playing out in, in Europe too, with uh, all the soccer players and soccer teams that are also issuing their own coins. Uh, and you're see- so you're seeing these similar scenarios play out in the crypto space in, in general in sports across the across the board and of course we know carl uh how big nfts have gotten in terms of sports too so you, so you have to think that this is just an area where it continues to see early adoption and growth for better or worse
2: yeah mike uh yeah. i mean it's definitely yeah, gonna just one way one way to read sentiment about the space
1: Well, that's the issue, right? I mean, it's hard to separate from, I mean, NFTs, there's linkages with the collectibles and Mm -hmm. kind of monetizing your brand and image. Uh, And also, I think anybody with a huge social media presence, it's almost irresistible to become kind of a promoter of crypto because... Those things just accelerate uh, one you know one against the other. So I don't know I I don't know if it means it's sort of a key to mass adoption or it means it's a little bit trendy uh, at this point. So uh, we'll have to see and getting paid in crypto whether that's real or not uh, hasn't always worked out for all those players unfortunately. Uh, (laughs) Meantime coming up uh, we head north to the border where a truck blockade is all but halted traffic across two of the busiest routes linking the U.S. and Canada. And it's already starting to hurt auto plants nationwide. We will be right back. The uh, Dow is up 153.
3: Welcome back to Squawk on the Street. Canadian truckers protesting COVID vaccine mandates uh, continue to block a key U.S.-Canada border crossing. And automakers have been forced to cut production on both sides of the border. Christina Partsnevelis is on the ground in Detroit with the latest. Christina. Well, we're entering day five right now of trucking protesters blocking
0: the Ambassador Bridge. You have exits like this one right behind me here in Detroit completely blocked off. It's honestly pretty much a ghost town. You got one truck that's driving by, but it's been incredibly quiet around here. And this bridge is massive. It accounts for over 25% of all trade between the United States and Canada. I caught up with one trucker, Kurt Fairfield, who picks up auto parts from the big three uh, here in Detroit, and he said he's Definitely noticing the impact of the blockade. Listen in.
2: My truck is not as full today, actually, for the last three days as it is like before this all took place. Um, I was full coming back every day.
0: Well, trucks make thousands of trips on this bridge each day, accounting for over $300 million of goods. According to the Anderson Economic Group in Michigan, they're anticipating or estimating $51 million in lost wages just this week alone. So of course, this is putting a strain on the economy. And let's start with the auto manufacturers. Just uh, maybe moments ago, We found that Toyota just announced that Toyota engine plant in West Virginia, as well as Alabama, is now affected by the blockade. GM uh, had three shifts that were cancelled in Lansing, Michigan. They're up and running today, but they actually had to charter a cargo plane to bring in parts that were stuck at the border. We're seeing issues with a plant in Ontario for Honda that makes Civic, so you could see some delays there. Uh, Ford is in the same boat, so you have all of these large automakers that are definitely feeling the financial impact.
5: Listen in. The longer it persists, the, the more difficult it's going to be to make up for any lost production.
0: And- pretty much across the board you have automakers that rely on just-in-time supplies right so they don't want to hold inventory but with this massive bridge block that means they're not getting their goods in time you have the canadian government here or also in ontario that has filed an injunction they're going to have a hearing at noon today they have said on the canadian side they are prepared to physically remove all the protesters if needed but of course uh, they definitely need to get that injunction in order protesters still can And it's spreading across the world. Back over to you guys.
2: Uh, We are definitely watching uh, that blockade as as a tool of protest, especially here in Los Angeles on this Super Bowl weekend. Thanks, Christina. You've been listening to the opening bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street.
6: This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery,